Welcome to the Slam Radio Podcast, featuring The Michael McCoy Show. Good afternoon, everybody. Thank you for tuning in this lovely Monday afternoon or morning or evening, depending on where you are catching the Michael McCoy show from. But again, thank you for tuning in here on Sirius XM channel 145 Slam Radio. Fair warning, this, first, this very first segment of the show is going to be an emotional one. So sorry if things just kind of don't go as you planned. But I'm definitely going to be talking about the events that took place last week, especially in the NBA and around the sports world, because they need to be, especially on this show or. Yeah, especially on this show, the Michael McCoy show again on Sirius XM channel 145 Slam Radio. And if you don't like it, you can you can tune away. There are several other Sirius XM sports channels. Uh, talking sports, but I'll venture to guess and say and predict that they're probably talking about the same thing that I am. Because, I mean, I, 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 I apologize. I apologize. I'm just, I'm just sick. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired, you know, and just knowing that People were born a certain way. People are born good. I really do believe that, okay? It's a choice to be evil. It's a choice to be ignorant. It's a choice to be on the wrong side of things. And there are plenty of times that there's a gray area, but I'm sorry, in 2020 racism, there is a clear and definite line in the sand. Which side are you on? Black and white. It is clear. And what's frustrating, what's really, really frustrating is that people are making it seem complicated and it, it isn't. This is not complicated. You're, you want to make it complicated. You're choosing to make it complicated because you have an agenda. You have some type of vendetta against whatever it is that's bugging you. All right. And you choose to not see equality. You want inequality. You want, you have a superiority or a superior complex and you, 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 you have a problem. Okay. It's fine. You were raised a certain way, but after a while, that excuse becomes just that an excuse. And it's up to you to grow up and smell the coffee because at a certain age, you are old enough to determine and realize what's right from wrong. And what's going on in America is very wrong today, yesterday, yesteryear, 10 years ago, heck, since the 1700s. And guess what? It's going to be wrong tomorrow, the day after that, the week after that, the month after that, the year after that. And you want to know what? All I can think about, I'm going to go ahead and say it because it's exactly what's going on. Black man in America, I'm worried about my damn kids. I'm worried about them. Doc Rivers was emotional last week. Troy Vincent was emotional last week. Robert Horry was emotional 
last week. Ryan Clark, formerly of the Pittsburgh Steelers, now with ESPN, was emotional several weeks ago because his son, an athlete at Arizona State University, got called the N-word trying to pick up some freaking fast food and because somebody that saw them thought that they were up to no good because he was not alone. He was in a group of people. He was with in a group of people with his teammates, somebody driving away from the drive through at whatever establishment it was, you know, called them the N word. And when the owner or, or manager of that restaurant or fast food joint saw this because the manager did see this, they did absolutely nothing. And Ryan Clark was mad at himself because he felt he didn't prepare his kid, his son, properly to deal with something that shouldn't have even have been an issue, something very simple, something very, I, I don't want to get into the story. If you want to know what I'm talking about, just look it up, look up, Google it. It's there. Ryan Clark's son, Arizona State University. It happened about two months ago, but Ryan Clark was mad at himself crying on national TV because if something went wrong, he felt it, should, it would have been his fault for not preparing his kid properly and how to deal with things like this. Well, that leads me to, uh, to what I want to talk about. And again, if you don't like what I'm talking about, nobody's forcing you to keep the channel on. I have two beautiful sons, a three-year-old, and which feels like he's going on 13, 15 years old because he's just so advanced and so smart. And I have a three-month-old, okay? My boys are beautiful. My boys are, are the most precious thing on the, in, in this world right now. And um, I want them, especially my three-year-old, because he's obviously the only one that I can talk to because my three-month-old is three months old. But I want my three-year-old to enjoy his, 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 his innocence. I want his innocence to remain innocent. I want his pureness to remain pure for as long as possible because that boy does not know color. He doesn't know the difference between black and white. He's three years old. But I struggle with when is the right time to have that conversation with him. Because the last thing I want him to do is start school and start getting the garbage fed to him from other people. I mean, I know that's going to happen regardless on other subjects, even this one. But I need to be the first one to talk to him about that. But at what age is the right age? I can't believe I'm sitting here talking about this in 2020. Actually, I shouldn't be surprised. I'm just so mad. I'm so mad. And you want to know what? I came to tears the other day because I'm not a crier. I've never been one. Not to say that I haven't cried, but I just, I'm not a crier. And so when people say, you know, I cried because I was so frustrated, I never understood that. I never understood it. But I was crying out of frustration the other day because how can people 
not understand what's going on. I refuse. I, 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 I just, it has to be a choice. You have to choose to be evil. You have to choose to see wrong and agree with wrong, right? Because nobody can be that stupid. This stuff hurts, man. I can't always be there for my family. And what can happen when I'm not around is terrifying to think about. I really have to have a conversation with my son to tell him how to act with police if I'm not around or if he gets in a situation where he's by himself with an officer because this officer may have an agenda because of my son's skin color. That's real life in 2020. And I'm pissed off and I'm frustrated and it isn't right. It's not fair. You're listening to the Michael McCoy show on Sirius XM channel 145 slam radio. And I'm venting because I can. I'm venting because it's all I can do because I don't have control. And it's frustrating. We don't have control of something, you know, and, and I get it. It's, that's the case for a lot of things in our life because we can't control everything. But it's really frustrating when you can't control something that should be very clear and simple to understand. I got into an argument on Twitter the other day with somebody. <laughs> and again, listen, I may lose listeners, I may lose Twitter, well, actually, I have lost Twitter followers, but thank you, because if you don't understand the difference between the Black Lives Matter organization and the Black Lives Matter movement, by the way, I am not going to explain the difference between the two on air. You're likely an adult listening to this, meaning you can make an adult decision to Google the difference between the damn two. And I will tell you one thing, the Black Lives Matter organization is nothing that 99% of the people you know agree with. The movement is something else. Because guess what? Black lives do matter, guys. Okay? That's what I'm going to say about that. As to the situation in sports last week regarding the NBA deciding to halt the postseason in the middle of the week. Damn it, bravo. And I will, look, it's already been announced that, you know, the league will resume play. But I was not going to be offended. I was not going to be upset. I was not going to be mad. I was not going to be bothered one iota if the NBA decided to stop play until next season, whenever it is that that started, okay? It's sickening that people side with money over social issues like health and racism, because both are issues. You, you want to know the last time the this country was together and united on one particular front was 9-11? Do you realize that 9-11 happened in 2001? That's ridiculous, not even a pandemic, not even a global pandemic that is proven to be taking lives from people can bring people together. 
Something as simple as wearing a mask is dividing this country. What the hell is wrong with you people? And by you people, obviously, if the shoe fits, wear it. I am not trying to paint, you know, uh, use this broad brush or cover the situation, you know, it, it, with a, this, this, this broad blanket. I'm not doing that. But we all know who these people are. You know who you are if that's you. Like I said, if the shoe fits, wear it, all right? I said that to say that if a global pandemic that is literally threatening your health, your child's health, your parents' health, people around you, the elderly, people with pre-existing conditions, it can take you out in two weeks. If that's not bringing us together, why the hell would I think, or why, why would I fool myself to think that the situation over in Wisconsin would bring people together? Why would I think that the situation like George Floyd would bring people together? Because I have, I'm, I'm an idiot and I have faith in humanity. Maybe that faith has to stop. I'm frustrated and I'm scared and I'm pissed because, you know, athletes are only athletes. Let me, let me take that back. They're not only athletes. They, there's only so much that they can do. And it was really discouraging to see people say that they are no longer going to follow the NBA or they're no, oh my God, I'm not renewing my season tickets. Who gives a damn? Take your freaking money and go. But it just goes to show you that they only love you as entertainers. That's really messed up. Yet LeBron is supposed to shut up and dribble. Look, I could curse on these airways as I wanted to. I got the green light too, but I'm not. I'm going to keep it classy. But shut up and dribble? Really? No, 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 no. You, it, you need to shut up and listen. And even that's wrong because listening's not going to work anymore, man. That, that has been out of the window, which is exactly why NBA players and athletes are doing what they're doing. You got to be some kind of stupid, a special kind of stupid, if you're really asking yourself, well, what is it that, that athletes can actually expect after canceling games? What are you talking about? Okay, this is directly speaking to the owners of their organizations, the heads of their sport, which are white males with power, with connections, with authority that no other white males with power and, and authority and, and pull that can make moves on Capitol Hill in Congress. That's why the NBA, that's why the Milwaukee Bucks were in their locker room because they were speaking to their state representative of, of Wisconsin because, look, this is what we want, this is what we expect, and this is the most that we can do. You, do you know how, how, at, how, how much at wit's end you have to be to not play the game that you love of basketball? You have to be at your last straw because there's a whole bunch of money involved, but obviously and gladly, that money ain't a thing to these guys. You athletes have the answers? No. But you want to know who doesn't either? The leaders, the quote-unquote leaders, air quotes that I'm using, leaders in Congress. You have to depend on athletes to do your job for something that you were voted into? Well, that's exactly why you're going to get voted the hell out, locally and nationally. This is sickening, okay? NCAA athletes, college students, 
are having more of an impact and say so than these people in Congress. Again, it's a choice. Which side are you going to be on? You're listening to the Michael McCoy Show on Sirius XM Channel 145 Slam Radio. We'll be right back. This is Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. Why should you volunteer with Meals on Wheels? I never thought that five minutes could make so much difference in the lives of two people, but it has. Drop off a warm meal and get more than you expect. Volunteer at americaletsdolunch.org. Brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council. Rich is just a really, really, really good guy. The term good egg isn't enough to describe him. He's also certified organic and free range. Rich puts the cap back on everything. The toothpaste, the olive oil, the shampoo, everything. He lets his 10-year-old nephew beat him at virtual tennis, even though he can straight up slay his 10-year-old nephew in virtual tennis. When the toilet paper is running low, Rich replaces the roll on the actual holder, not just on the back of the toilet. Rich is texting and driving. Rich, no, what are you doing, Rich? I was just telling everyone how great you are. Texting and driving makes good people look bad. Visit StopTextStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. We'll be back with the Michael McCoy Show on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. Good morning, amigo. Just the two of us. We can make it if we try. Just the two of us. You and I. Well, you, got the, you forgot that. Oh, the two of us, we're building castles in the sky, just the two of us. Go. You and I. There you go. Good morning, amigo. Weekdays from 7 to 11, only on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. Why was the basketball court all wet? Because the players kept dribbling on it. The dad joke. <laughs> Corny, groan-worthy but also one of the simplest ways to share a moment with your kids. What did the buffalo say when he dropped his son off for school? Bye, son. (laughs) So take a moment to make your kid laugh, because dad jokes rule. Make your kid laugh today. Go to fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. And now we're back with the Michael McCoy Show on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for sticking around with me throughout that last break. I know that the opening segment to the Michael McCoy show was very emotional, but you can't blame me considering the events that took place, uh, you know, in sports and, you know, throughout the nation last week. But I'm going to do my best to pull it all together. Um, And I know last week I promised you guys a lot of football talk, but basketball has dominated the headlines. So we're going to go ahead and talk about a series that's very interesting that uh, game finished just, I'm sorry, game, game six just finished up last night. And there will be a game seven between the Utah Jazz and the Denver Nuggets. And it was an exciting one to watch. I got my boy here, Kaysen Davis. Um, he has a podcast called The Rundown with Kaysen and Rich. You can follow that uh, podcast at The Rundown Show underscore. Those guys put, some, put together some really good content. So give them a follow, man. Um, some really good content there. Kaysen, how you doing? 
I'm good, bro. Thank you for having me on. Oh, not a problem, man. I appreciate you. It was very last minute, so I really appreciate you um, putting your time into calling in. And, and uh, let's just get right to it, man. Because And by the way, ladies and gentlemen, I know Kaysen because we, we have an affinity for basketball. We met each other last uh, a couple semesters ago in a sports reporting class over at the U, and we just maintain a pretty cool relationship ever since then. So the guy knows his stuff. I suggest that you listen. But Kaysen, man, we... Just finished watching a, uh, a game six that it wasn't the first time in this series in which Donovan Mitchell and uh, Jamal Murray have been going at it. What is your like raw reaction to what you're seeing right now in that series? Uh, j- just amazing. I know that uh, Jamal Murray is a, like a great player, but I didn't think he can kind of take it to this level. This is kind of like a next level. And even Donovan Mitchell, I know against the Thunder a couple years ago, he had a great show and coming out party. But just for both of them, I think this is like a real, real coming out party, especially with the bubble and everything that's going on. And the yeah. eyes kind of be on the basketball world for both of them to go off for 50 one game, the other one 50, and both of them 50. I just think this is like a show. Uh, I know Vince Carter was on ESPN the other day, and he was talking about how this kind of gives like the Allen Iverson versus Vince Carter vibes from 2001, and I kind of agree with that. Well, you know what? We're on the same page, man. Great minds think alike because I was uh, doing a show with uh, Jordan Nelson, who was a uh, who's a jazz fan. He keeps it as even keel as possible, but me and he, he he and I are on the same page that yeah, Jamal Murray can get his in. You know, he's a bucket getter, but. I didn't, I wasn't buying it yet. I wasn't buying what I was seeing yet, especially after last season. I'm a very, I'm a very, I got to see it first before I believe it guy. And even last year after, you know, his playoff performance, he admitted that it wasn't so good. Uh, Fast forward, you know, a whole year or even more than that. uh, As you said, as you alluded to just a second ago, this is the third time in this series that uh, Jamal Murray has 40 plus uh, game four, he actually hit 50, went 18 of 31, hit nine from deep. Game five, he not he netted 42 points, went four of eight from beyond the arc. And the game six that we just saw, 17 of 24, 50 points, hit nine from beyond the arc. But the big one about this game was that, and no, I didn't compile these stats. I saw them, <laughs> on, uh, you know, after the game. But the biggest thing after after his performance was he had the fewest field goal attempts in a 50-point game since Bob Cousy in 1953, where Bob Cousy put up 22 field goal attempts and hit 50. But, I mean, you said it, man. These, these, this, I was the, fir- the first thing I thought about after this game was, man, when was the last time we saw a playoff duel like that? And my mind really can't go back that far. I mean, I remember Paul George and LeBron went at it a few times. Uh, Paul Pierce and LeBron went at it in some, I think it was a game seven in 2008. But, I was not a big believer, you know, to put long story short, I was not a big believer in Jamal Murray. He's kind of shutting me up. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, uh, like I said, this is kind of a coming out party for both of them. You kind of maybe expect something crazy like this from like a LeBron versus Kawhi matchup, but that ends up happening. But to see these two young stars kind of go at it, it's, it's really exciting to see. And we kind of know. And like I said, with the, the whole bubble situation, it's like the eyes are on the NBA. And it's like, especially I got to give Jamal Murray a lot of credit because the the, uh, the Nuggets were really down. I kind of thought the series would be over in five, especially what I've seen from the Jazz kind of being able to put uh, Nurkic in and pick and rolls and kind of making him uncomfortable and, and taking advantage of that. And game three and game four, they kind of really took advantage of that where he was able to kind of blow them off the court. So for Jamal Murray to come out and still kind of be like their only offense the last couple of games and really will them to these last couple of victories to even get into a game seven, I think he definitely 
has put the, the NBA world and the whole world on notice about just how good he is. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. I mean, honest to God, I always felt that even though I just didn't think they could show up in big games, I do feel that between the two teams, like if both are at 100%, that Denver is the better squad. I think, they're, they have, I think they're deeper, especially with Porter. I mean, Jeremy Grant coming through tonight was a big deal. And um, if I'm looking at the box score, let me pull up that box score real quick. I should have had it up. But um, Jeremy Grant, I think he had like 18 to 20 points. I love his game because he doesn't demand the ball. And I mean, he just, he's, he's long, he's athletic. He could cover a lot of positions, but I think he can be an X factor in game seven. I mean, there's just one more game in the series. And I guess the next thing I wanted to ask you is who do you got? Uh, that's, that's a good question. I think it kind of go either way. Like we were just talking about both guys are kind of going, kind of going off. It, it, like you said, it's going to depend on the role players. Like you brought up Jeremy Grant. He's been able to guard, uh, uh, Donovan Mitchell these last couple of games he's been the main primary defender on him and then I, I want to give him a big shout out being a Thunder fan myself last year he kind of didn't show up in the playoffs and this year he's been willing to take those shots coming out not second guessing on threes because last year he kind of really struggled from three in the playoffs this year he's been coming out taking a defensive uh, position and going out really guarding Donovan I think like you said it's going to come down to the, to the role players if I had to pick right now I think the, Nug the Nuggets have the momentum coming off these last two games. And I think they kind of saw the issue, like I was saying earlier, with that little pick and roll that was kind of making them struggle before and they couldn't really guard. I think they kind of saw that issue. So I think they have the momentum. They got Gary Harris back tonight. I think he'll play better in the next game. I think with that momentum, they, they'll, they'll get the game seven. Grant went six of nine, four, four of seven from deep. And it's crazy because that's probably the one guy that Utah was okay with taking threes. You look up and he's above 50%, 18 points, um, played 35 minutes, Jokic had four, had how much he had? 22 points. So, I mean, I hear you on that. Um, sorry for that background noise, but uh, you're listening to the Michael McCoy Show here on Sirius XM Channel 145 Slam Radio with uh, special guest Kaysen Davis of The Rundown and uh, give that show a follow. They put some good content, content out. Um, let's talk about your OKC Thunder and um, this Houston series, which by the way, I'm Houston is a team that I have a healthy dislike for simply because of the style of basketball they, that they play really kind of pisses me off. But I mean, it's hard to argue with the results, even, even though we're used to them coming up short in the playoffs. I'm a big fan of the way in which Chris Paul, and I'm, I'm going to use the word single-handedly, has turned around that 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 OKC team because going into the season, I don't think anybody expected them to hit the 30 or 35 win mark. Tell me if I'm off base here. No, I think you're right on point. I think uh, uh, Chris Paul talked about, I think they had like a 0.2% chance to make the playoffs. That's kind of why I thought Billy Donovan kind of deserved the, the coach of the year. But like you said, Chris Paul is kind of single-handedly. I mean, he's had a not single-handedly, but he's kind of single-handedly. Like, his leadership is kind of what got him there, you know, where the shit goes out of being a young player, you know. You think about all the Clippers guys, they talk about how they were so excited just to be playing he can become. So they know he has star potential in the future. But him, uh, Dennis Schroeder being able, being able to come on to the whole guy Nari, I think Chris Paul just being that leader there definitely kind of single-handedly got, the, got them in there. So I definitely agree with that. He's one of the few guys in the NBA that, I mean – in terms of true point guards, not overall point guard, who you'd rather have or scoring point guards, even though he can score, very good score, definitely a pass first guy. I think he's the best true 
point guard in the NBA. And to me, myself, number two, I'm a huge Rajon Rondo fan. And to me, he's the second best pure point guard in the league. But, I mean, it just goes to show you that you have a guy that can play half-court offense, can set his guys up in, 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 you know, like a chess match. He's always seems to be two or three steps ahead of you. And he, he, he picks up on mismatches very quickly. I think that obviously the leadership is no question, but in that series as a, as a, as I'm sorry, not a Utah fan, but as a uh, OKC fan, what is it that concerns you the most heading into, you know, the next couple of games or the next game? Cause they're into game six, six. No, game seven, six, six, six. Yeah. six. Uh, what kind of coming back? So how do you feel? What kind of concerns me the most is kind of what you what you talked about. The Rockets team is like when they when they're on, they're really on. It's kind of hard to stop them. But when they're off and they're cold, kind of like the second half of uh, Game Four, I believe they go. They start the half going eight for eight, and then the rest of the half they go like eight for twenty five. Yeah. So like when they're on and they're hitting, it's kind of hard to, to to figure them out. But if they get cold, I think we have a great chance. Another problem that that uh, might come up is Westbrook, Westbrook coming back. Well, you saw in the last game just his energy and the kind of different things he brings to the team. He's he got uh, a lot of, there are a lot of more drives from them the last couple of games. Westbrook and he draws a lot of attention, so he created a lot of more open shots. So it's not only now shots you got to worry about. You got to worry about him creating in the lane yeah. and maybe getting those other guys to stop worrying about the three so much and yeah. have them drive a little more. So Westbrook kind of brings a different dynamic to it. And then, like I said, with the Rockets, if they're on, they're on. That's just something you kind of can't prepare for. Gallinari is definitely someone that needs to step up. I mean, his last performance in 22 minutes, he put up one more point than you and I both did. And, um, you know, he, he didn't score from the field. He hit his lone free throw. And so he's going to need him because if you look at that starting lineup, I mean, you got Gilgis Alexander, Paul, Adams, Gallinari, and Dort. I mean, between those guys, you'd expect Gallinari to be that second guy. You know, Adams is going to get his some way, somehow doing dirty work at the bottom. But Chris Paul definitely can't do it alone. Off the bench... Um, you know, Basley had 10, uh, Shorter had 19, but, you know, the bench is, you know, they're coming off the bench. I mean, do you kind of foresee any kind of shakeup in the uh, starting lineup? No, probably, probably not in the starting lineup. I think Billy Donovan kind of – what I've learned about Billy Donovan in the playoffs is he likes to stick to what kind of got him there. And that's kind of the one break that I, I kind of have with him is that he doesn't like to switch it up a little bit. In game – the two games we were able to win in game three and game four – he was he switched the lineup kind of down the stretch. He took uh, Stephen Adams out and went small, which is kind of what I've been cr uh, crying about for him to do. The first two games, he kind of wanted to go with his uh, three guard lineup, which kind of got us here in the playoffs. That been one of the best lineups out there. But when he does that, he takes Dort out, and Dort's been kind of like one of the best defenders on James Harden in a while that we've seen. So to take Dort out in those first two games, Harden was able to get off after uh, Dart Dort was sorry Dort was out. So I think you have to keep Dort in, go small, probably put Gallinari at the five. With Gallinari at the five, maybe that can make some, create some mismatches for him. Like you said, he kind of has to get going. So maybe you get him to the five, give him a couple of mismatches, and then keep Dort in and still play that three-guard lineup. I think that's kind of what got us those two wins. If he does that, I think we, we have a great chance to come out with a win. That is exactly what Houston does to you. I mean, they kind of force you – only if they're hitting shots, only if they're ahead, really, because if they're not hitting shots and they're, you know, playing from behind, um, it's kind of, I mean, actually, I take that back because uh, D'Antoni's going to do what he does no matter what. I mean, the guy traded away his pretty much only shot blocker from, for, for, for who was it? It was uh, Covington, another three-point shooter that can stretch the floor. And I think Covington is playing at center, but um, they're, they're going to force you to go small. And I mean, ah. Uh, 
I hate to see them advance. I'm really rooting for Houston because I just that's not a ball I'm not a fan of. How do you feel about them if they were to advance? Sorry about that. Sorry about that background noise. If they were to advance, um, their prospects of maybe even winning the West. Uh, for Houston or OKC? Okay, I'm talking about Houston. Oh, for Houston, I don't know. Uh, it's going to be interesting because I think they have a real shot against the Lakers. Like you said, they create a lot of mismatches. But I think AD, what we see from AD that in that first round is kind of very alarming for, for the, the Rockets because they like to go small. But the Lakers can go small and still play big with AD. Yeah. So yep. the Lakers can still match up with them, but still have someone in the post that they have to worry about. I think right now, with the, in this OKC series, Houston doesn't have to worry about a post player really too much. I mean, they try to throw it down to Adams a little bit, but he's not the post player that AD right. is. So I think when Houston goes up against a team like that, kind of like the Lakers who have a big who you can still post up, they're going to create those mismatches and try to get Westbrook on him or try to get uh, one of the smaller guys on him and then throw it into the post. And now that creates a lot of problems that Houston has to worry about. Like you said, Houston wants to get you to go small. They want you to play with them. The Lakers go small, but they're still big, so they still right. create that problem that they have. And he's still a shot blocker on the, on the defensive end, so now that kind of messes up them kind of getting into the paint a little bit and maybe bother Westbrook a little bit. So I think they have a good shot against the, the, the Lakers. I think with the, their offense, you kind of have a puncher's chance always, yeah. but I think – I think the Lakers get him in six next round. Okay. And, I mean, you said it, man. Yeah, you can play small, but you're still kind of big with Anthony Davis. And it's not just they're still big, but they're still big with arguably the best big man in the league. So, I mean, a top three player in the league, maybe top three or five player in the world, who knows. But got a minute and a half left. And I wanted to ask you your thoughts about, you know, the actions that took place throughout the week and, you know, the league. Um, players getting fed up with everything that's going on. And, you know, I kind of had an emotional first segment of this show because it, it, it affected me personally as a father of two. And um, just your thoughts pretty much, man. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's been a tough week with everything, even the couple passings that we had. I think that uh, – I think I, I, I like them having the protest. It, even though they came back and I know a lot of people were like, oh, they shouldn't come back. I think coming back is the right thing to do because I think for athletes, like, yeah, you can be out there and you can like be marching and stuff like that. But I think your message is really where you are. Like most people look at you as an athlete. So if you can get your message across while you're doing what you do, True. then it's better because now you're seeing me in my element where you, I have your most attention True. and I'm getting my message across to you. So like if I was out there on the street protesting, you probably like, you know, you're not playing sports right now. We kind of don't, we don't care about, you, you know what I mean? So I have you in my element, you're in your couch. I'm making you uncomfortable if you are uncomfortable and I'm getting my message across. So I think coming back was the right thing to do. I think the protest was good too. Just to take a second, everyone relax, everything that was going on and think about the next move. I think like Bron said, you got to have a plan and stuff like that. Gave him some time to kind of get a plan in there and really think about what was the best thing to do. So I think cooler heads kind of prevailed, but I, I like the move. Like you said, it's emotional. It's been an emotional week with everything that was going on with the passings and the, just the cops still killing people and things like that. It's just tough. So even they're in the bubble. So I know it's, it's worse for them. They can't see their family. They can't right. talk to their kids. They can't tell them what's going on in the world and things like that. So even just on a personal level and like a, a people level for them to get a second to relax and take their mind off basketball and kind of regather themselves and things like that. I think it was good for, for them and then getting the message across and things like that. So it just from here is what's the next move? Right. We got their attention. We stopped the world. All other sports stopped. We stopped. Now, what's the next move? Because now the eyes are on us. It's true. No, good point, man. Amen to that. Amen to that. I mean, you know, their plan is to go and get in touch with guys on Capitol Hill. And the, the Bucks absolutely did that. They reached out to their state, you know, representative and legislator. So 
like you said, man, it's wait and see. But I, these guys are not playing. These guys are not playing. And I believe, you know, there is a plan going forward. And um, I just want to thank you for coming on, man. I, I really do appreciate that. Like I said, it was really last minute. So thank you for being so responsive. I, I appreciate that. I definitely appreciate you for having me. You know, like I said, we built the relationship. So shout out to you. Shout out to the show. I really appreciate you having me on. No problem, man. That's Kaysen Davis, ladies and gentlemen. Give him a follow on Twitter. And he's on the Rundown podcast, Hey and Rich. So um, we'll be right back after this break. You're listening to The Michael McCoy Show on Sirius XM Channel 145, Slam Radio. Keep it locked. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. No, no, no. You know, that's cool, man. Um, Hey, look what I found. A radio. Radio. This is Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Tom and Levi. Tom is the smartest man I know. He's been a professor at two major universities, been a teacher for over 40 years. One day, he told me that he was having um, problems in his classes. I think one of the students had asked the question and he didn't remember the answer. And I also noticed that he was letting his class out earlier than they were supposed to let out. And he was telling them that he was doing it as a favor to them. But I think in reality, he just wanted to get out of there. Um, I was really starting to worry because I saw something was wrong. Levi and I talked about how it would change our lives, but he was there beside me. And my love for him was just immense. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Man, I love my kids so much. I once sat for three hours in the cold rain to watch her soccer team lose by 18 goals. I love my kids so much, I once used a tube to suck snot out of her stuffed nose at 3 a.m. You win. Love your kids? Love them enough to make sure they're in the right car seat. From toddlers to tweens, visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat to find the right seat for their age and size. Keep them safe. Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. We'll be back with the Michael McCoy Show. On Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. Good morning, amigo. Hey, man, it, look, if they pick up Tua Nigamanu Alapola, too, I'll, I'll be fine with him. But I'm just looking I'm, I'm looking at the different angles. It does, you I don't call know, him that. I call him Tunga Vailoa. Whatever you want to call him. Listen, I don't know if they're 100% sold on Tua Nigamanu Alapola. Tunga Vailoa is the next quarterback of the Miami Dolphins. How can you get that name so perfect? Tua Nigamanu Alapola? Tua? I can't do it. I'm done. Tunga Vailoa. Tua Nigamanu Alapola. Tunga Vailoa. Tua Nigamanu Alapola. Tunga Vailoa. Tua Nigamanu Alapola. Tunga Vailoa. That sounds much better that way. <laughs> Good morning, amigo. Weekdays from 7 to 11, only on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. Why should you volunteer with Meals on Wheels? I never thought that five minutes could make so much difference in the lives of two people, but it has. Drop off a warm meal and get more than you expect. Volunteer at americaletsdolunch.org. Brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council. Now we're back with the Michael McCoy Show on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. All right, all right, all right. We are back with the Michael McCoy Show here on Sirius XM Channel 145 Slam Radio. Hope everybody's enjoying their Monday thus far. Have some good uh, NBA 
bubble playoffs conversation with Kaysen Davis in the last segment. Thanks again, Kaysen, for coming on and imparting your wisdom on the Houston OKC, OKC series along with that Utah-Denver series, who should be a very exciting game seven in what I think they're going to play on either Tuesday, maybe Wednesday, who knows. But, boy, I have some apologizing to do. I really, really do. And here's, here's, here's the thing, all right? Um, I come up with a lot of takes that make sense, but a lot of people don't disagree with because a lot of people like to side on the popular side of things. I look at both sides of the fence, both ends of the spectrum, and I like to make decisions for myself. If somebody has even just a little bit of chance to get something done, I'm going to pay attention to that little bit of chance because you just never know, okay? That's just the type of person I am. And I'm not a knee-jerker. Definitely am not a knee-jerker. I don't understand how anybody that is a sports fan of any sport at any level can can react to anything all of a sudden. They see one thing happen in one game or, heck, even one season. And uh, that's it. They're automatically sold. And, you know, they, they drink the Kool-Aid. And that's not necessarily the case with me, unless we're talking Canes football. I could be a sucker for punishment. But that's a different story. We're talking about basketball right now. And what I'm trying to get at is Jamal Murray. <laughs> I mean, I know that Kaysen and I just talked about him, but if you guys remember a few weeks back when Jordan Nelson called in and, you know, we were kind of previewing the playoff series uh, right before the playoffs started, Eastern and Western Conference, we got into this Utah series, well, you know, them being matched up against Denver, and he and I agreed that, you know what, let, let Jamal Murray have his thing, man. Go ahead and let him do his thing because he doesn't scare us. Now, Jordan is a Utah fan, so take that for what it's worth. Honest guy knows his stuff, but I have never really been a believer in Jamal Murray. I have not been a believer in Jamal Murray, and I'm going to tell you why. I just, I wasn't sold on him. Yes, he's a bucket getter, but haven't we seen that millions of times? There's a million people that are bucket getters. Heck, the best six-man ever, the greatest bench player in terms of points scored off the bench is, you know, he's a hell of a bucket getter, but he's a role player. Obviously, I'm talking about Lou Williams. He's a role player. He, he probably can start, deserves to start, but, he, he, you know, he has his niche. So what I'm trying to get at is getting buckets isn't everything. Not in the game of basketball, it isn't everything, all right? Um, it's great to be a two-way player, so on and so forth. Multi-dimensional on offense. Jamal Murray is all of these things, okay? By the way, um, when you have your name or when your name finds itself uh, with the greatest of all time, like Michael Jordan, I mean, you got to kind of start paying attention. And what I mean by that, I mean, I need to start paying attention. Jamal Murray in terms of 50-point games in a playoff series, there have only been a couple people to do it, all right? Michael Jordan, some guy named, you know, Michael Jordan, his Aaroness, did it in 1998. Allen Iverson, the answer, did it in 2001. And Donovan Mitchell with, John, with Jamal Murray have done it in 2020, this series, all right? Uh, again, if you haven't been paying attention, game four, 50 points. Game five, 42 points. Game six, 
50 points, including nine of 12 from three. And as I mentioned, as I mentioned in the previous segments, he has, he shot the fewest field goal attempts in a 50 point game since Bob Cousy in 1953, in which Bob Cousy shot the ball 22 times and still netted 50 points. Okay. Um, Jamal Murray did not have a 40 point game in the regular season, but three this series alone, like I said, including two 50 pieces. Um, Mike, are you convinced? Mike, are you sold? Are you a believer in Jamal Murray? No. <laughs> Again, I'm not a knee jerker. Look, I will say this. He has changed my narrative about him because I didn't take him seriously before. I didn't take him seriously before. I am starting to take him seriously now. I just need to see more of it. Well, what the hell do you need to see, Mike? Well, I'll tell you right now. All right, let's, let's take it back to last season. All right, and I know last season is last season. doesn't really matter. But, you know, it's things like this that kind of help you formulate an opinion about any given player in any given league. All right, so let's take, it to 20, let's take a look at the 2019 second round versus the Portland Trailblazers, who ended up getting swept by the Golden State Warriors in, um, in the Western Conference Finals. All right, so the Denver Nuggets take on the Portland Trailblazers, a game in which went seven, I'm sorry, a series in which went seven games, okay, went seven games. And Jamal Murray's production went a little bit like this. Game one, solid 23 points. Okay. Game two, 15 points, including five in the fourth quarter. In the clutch, where it matters the most. It's where you make your bones. That's where guys like, I mean, look, you could suck all game, but if you come up big in the fourth, I mean, that's why, that's where the saying comes, you know, it's better to, uh, to finish and start, you know, it's better to close than, than start a game. All right. It's absolutely true, especially in a tight game, you know, so game two, 15 points after a solid 23 point game one, game three has a nice 34 points. Okay. Uh, he had seven in overtime. All right. But that game had four overtime periods, four overtime periods. Uh, 34 points in game three of last year's second round matchup versus the Portland Trailblazers. Again, a, a series in which went seven games. Uh, game four, he goes off for 34 points again. This time he had 12 points in the fourth quarter, all right? Game five, 18 in a blowout win, all right? 124 to 98. So only had 18 points, did very minimal scoring in the fourth quarter because he didn't have to. Game six, 24 points. The only problem is that he went seven of 20 from the field. And in game seven, where everything, you know, all the other six games behind you really don't matter, okay? 17 points on four of 18 shooting, and you lose by four points. That hurts, all right? He had 165 points scored in seven games for an average of 23 points per game. It's not going to get it done. It's not going to get it done, especially when the Denver Nuggets, uh, you know, they're trying to be taken seriously. I mean, last season, okay, let me pull up last season really quick. Last season's NBA standings, the Denver Nuggets had the fourth best record in the NBA, completing their 82-game season with 54 wins and 28 losses, all right? Uh, in the Western Conference, they finished third, if I'm not mistaken. Let me pull that back up. 
in the Western Conference, yes, they did finish, I'm sorry, second. They finished second. Uh, the Portland Trailblazers were only a half a game behind them with a 53-29 and 29 record. I mean, the West has always been close, at least in the last few years, all right? So there are a couple teams that could have vouched for that or probably earned that second overall seed in the Western Conference because Houston was tied with Portland with the same identical record. Obviously, Portland won the head-to-head with 53-29. and 29. And then the Utah Jazz were fifth with 50 wins on the season and 32 losses. So that's only, what, four games behind the Nuggets. So, and, and get this, the Nuggets were only three games behind the number one seed, Golden State Warriors. It's just, I compared the Nuggets up until last year, because obviously, you know, the Toronto Raptors shut everybody up, including myself, winning an NBA title. Although that was, you know, you, uh, you better win an NBA title when you play the Golden State Warriors JV version, right? JV version of the Golden State Warriors, I should say. But um, whatever, they did what they had to do. But up until last year, teams like in the NFL, the Atlanta Falcons, I never took them seriously, okay? The Toronto Raptors, I never took them seriously. The Denver Nuggets, I'm not taking them seriously until they do something to shut me up. Will winning this series shut me up? No, because like I said, it's going to take more than one series, more than one season, more than one game I got to see consistency, and that's what Jamal Murray, after what I personally haven't been seeing from him. Again, um, you just heard me rattle off his productivity in last year's second round versus Portland, 23, 15, 34, 34, 18, 24, and 17 points. Those were the points scored by game for Jamal Murray. Again, totaling 165 for 23 points per game. Fast forward to 2020 in round one, where it seems maybe, maybe, big maybe, like Jamal Murray may be taking the next step into, uh, you know, stardom, okay? So game one, 36 points. But then this is where I have a problem with him. Game two and three. Game two, 14 points. Game three, 12 points on five of 16 shooting, okay? He gets lost. Right. I remember even tweeting, you know, game one, 30, 36 points, right? After that game two, when he scored 14 points, automatically, I, I tweeted it. I was like, well, everybody remember that game one performance? Everybody was gloating about Jamal Murray. Like, yeah, he just had 14 points. Then he followed that up with 12 points, game three. Game four through five, I'm sorry, game four through six is, you know, obviously he's heating up. Game four, 50 points on 18 of 31 shooting hit nine from downtown. Game five, 42 points, 17 of 26. He only missed nine shots that game. It's half of his three-pointers, four of eight. And uh, game six, the one that we just, you know, finished talking about, Kaysen and I in the last segment, a 50-burger, only missed seven shots, going 17 of 24, nine of 12 from deep. And like I said, he, uh, uh, that was the fewest field goal attempts in a 50-point game since Bob Cousy in 1953, in which Bob Cousy, excuse me, put up 22 field goal attempts. So through six games, Jamal Murray has scored 204 points, and that's averaging 34 points a game, compared to 165 points in a seven-game series loss to the Portland Trailblazers last season in the second round of the NBA playoffs. You see where I'm going here? Yeah, just to me as a sports fan, I need to see it. And like, again, like I said, again, I'm not sold on Jamal Murray. Great. He's had a bunch of uh, his last three games have been filled with clutch play. 
you know, accurate shooting. Uh, obviously, he's been productive, really good. I mean, he's a bucket getter. What can I say? All right. He's never not been a bucket getter. I just I need more than that when it comes to uh, a basketball player. So, I mean, shouts out to him. And obviously, he's been playing with uh, well, obviously not been playing, but this game was fueled with emotion. OK, everybody knows what's been going on in the past week in the sports world, you know, things that were triggered by the actions of the players of the in the NBA, I should say, uh, deciding to sit out playoff games. All right. I don't need to get into it. Like I said, I had the first segment of the show for that. And I actually have a lot more left in the tank. I just I'm choosing to try and keep this as, as sports centered as humanly possible, although it is a little bit difficult. I'm not going to sit here and lie. Um, I'm just going to need to see a little bit more. If Jamal Murray leads his team to a game seven victory, I'll, I'll, I'll be paying more attention. I'll be paying more attention. I just need to see it in more than one series, in more than one season, and in more than one situation. Like, you know, the guy's been clutch. If he automatically disappears, like he did last year in game seven, I mean, all of this is for naught. But like I said, he's been playing with emotion. Uh, or this game, this past game was full of emotion. If you guys saw that post-game interview in which he had uh, his shoes, you know, the images of Breonna Taylor and or George Floyd are plastered on them on his uh, pair of white Adidas. And, uh, you know, he got emotional. You know, he, it's more than just basketball for all of these guys. It's more than just sports for everybody involved that is taking this seriously and has an issue with what's going on. And um, for those of you wondering what can sports, I'm sorry, what can athletes get from this, then, you know, you, you, you're just not paying attention. You're just not paying attention. These, these issues are very easy to make out and very easy to see what's going on, all right? And um, if you just choose to be on the side of ignorance, then go ahead. But Jamal Murray, man, keep, keep it up. Keep shutting me up because I have nothing to say. <laughs> I have nothing, nothing to say. And if you're wondering, if, if you're wondering about that two, 2016 NBA draft class, remember, that draft class was not very deep, okay? It was Ben Simmons at the top and then a huge gap between one and two, all right? I still think Brandon Ingram should have, could have um, waited another year to come out. He's finally blossoming into the player that a lot of people expected him to be. He still has a lot of, I don't think he's reached his full potential at all. Okay, at all. That guy is probably, at least physically and somewhat skill-wise, the next best thing to, uh, to KD that there is out there in the NBA. All right, everybody's hoping that KD comes back strong after tearing his Achilles last season in the NBA Finals, we'll see. But if you had to redo that 2016 NBA draft in which Jamal Murray got drafted seventh overall out of Kentucky, oh boy, let me just rattle off <laughs> the top 10 picks. I'm not even going to go through the entire lottery, just the guys that in the top 10, or you know what, not even, not even. I'm going to rattle off the guys that were drafted ahead of Jamal Murray at seven. So in order, Philly goes with Ben Simmons, the Lakers go with Brandon Ingram, Boston goes with Jalen Brown. So far, so good, right? Okay, here's the problem. Phoenix, Dragon Bender at four. At five, Chris Dunn goes to Minnesota, who Chris Dunn is now with my Chicago Bulls. Uh, the Pelicans take up Buddy Heald, who's now with the uh, Kings. And then Jamal Murray at seven. If you had to redo that draft, Jamal Murray is definitely a top five pick, all right? 
I'm not here to debate the order, but that top five is definitely Simmons, Ingram, Brown, Heald, and Murray. As to where he falls, who knows? But uh, he's definitely outplaying his draft position. So, I mean, shouts out to him, man. I need to see it a little bit more, a little bit uh, more often in the clutch, in the fourth where it matters. So basically this segment uh, on this nationally televised show is me apologizing to Jamal Murray and saying, my bad, man, even though I'm still not 100% sold, I take back what I said about me not taking you seriously and me not being worried about you uh, in a matchup because, I mean, you, 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 you got the goods, my man. You got the goods. And here I am to say that I am just eating crow. So I'm looking forward to that game seven. I'm looking forward to seeing what he and uh, Donovan Mitchell have in store because talk about a back and forth, man. I mean, you heard Kaysen and I talk about it. You, we can't really... Uh, it's just, this doesn't happen often in the playoffs. Not like that. I mean, Jamal Murray was on fire. Everything he put up in the last five minutes was just was just seeing nothing but twine. So um, got to go ahead and take a break. Pay some bills. We'll be right back here on the Michael McCoy Show on Sirius XM Channel 145. Slam Radio. Keep it locked. Hey, nice to have you back. Thank you very much for sticking around, guys. You're listening to the Michael McCoy Show on Sirius XM Channel 145, Slam Radio. Good to have you back with us on the other side of the break. And we're going to talk some football, guys. Figured it's a good time for that. Close out the show with a little bit of football talk, college and pro. Let you know what's on my mind there. I know that towards the end of last week's show, I told you that this week's show will be chalked of football news, but things change, things happen. I felt that the events that happened last week uh, in the NBA and all across sports deserve some attention. And plus, there was some good playoff basketball played over the weekend, so why not, right? So, I mean, here we are, some football news. And you want to know what? I want to kind of bring up something that I haven't really heard the national media talk about, and I am absolutely shocked about it. Maybe things will change once, uh, you know, the season gets closer to being played, which isn't that far away. I mean, I know college football kicks off in like 11 days or 10 days from now. So the NFL normally kicks off a week or two after that. But you want to know what's kind of on my mind that I just haven't seen anybody really talk about is Tom Brady versus the New England Patriots. And no, I don't think they don't play each other this season. But uh, what I mean by that, and by, I, you know what, I take that back. It's not Tom Brady versus the New England Patriots. It's more so Tom Brady versus Bill Belichick. And what I mean by that is who has the most to prove between those guys? I mean, think about it. Those two guys are going, those two names are going to be etched together in NFL history, sports history until the end of time, okay? When you bring up one, you got to bring up the other. doesn't really matter who you bring up first. But this is the very first season that they're without each other, okay? Uh, Bill Belichick without a Hall of Fame quarterback and Tom Brady without perhaps the best coach that anybody has ever seen in NFL history, that, of course, being Bill Belichick. So how are they going to – how are things going to shake out? You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's something that we're going to have to see play out. And Without knowing much behind the scenes and obviously without having a crystal ball in front of me to see what's going to happen this season or until one of them retires first, to me, 
it's Bill Belichick. I'm sorry. I think Bill. Be- I think Tom Brady has more to prove because I think Bill Belichick. There's nothing else for him to prove. Well, you're probably saying, well, yeah, Mike, can he win without Tom Brady? But um, I think that by Bill Belichick proving, okay, over and over and over again that he can pretty much plug and play any guy at any position, even quarterback, okay, he's still a successful coach, a very successful coach. And yes, he hasn't won a Super Bowl without Tom Brady being the guy, but I want to take it back 12 years ago. I really want to take it back 12 years ago to 2008. And if you guys don't remember, I have some notes here for you where the New England Patriots lost Tom Brady in week one of the NFL season. Okay. Um, prime example, Bernard Pollard takes down Tom Brady. Tom Brady tears his ACL against the Kansas City Chiefs at home in Foxborough. They go on to win that game. Okay, but I'll tell you what else they go on to do. They go on to win 11 games that season, 11 and 5 in 2008. They did finish second in the division. Okay, that's the year that Ronnie Brown and the Dolphins are, are, you know, they take the league by storm with the the Wildcat offense and, you know, the Dolphins end up going, I think they go 12 and 4, maybe 11 and 5 that year. Uh, you know, they end up making the playoffs, but I want to, I want to talk a little bit about that season because Bill Belichick did a masterful job. If you ask me, all right, 410 points scored that season. That's most in the division, second most in the AFC. Okay. I think that's just, I think that's very commendable. If you ask me, very commendable. If you ask me and, um, I have here some other stats on that. Well, yeah, it really doesn't matter, but 11-5 and five that year, I don't believe they made the playoffs, okay, because that's the year that um, everybody in the AFC was kind of on fire uh, except the division-winning division San Diego Chargers, who I believe went 8-8. Eight and eight. They had the most points scored that year in, uh, in the NFL. But everybody in, in, in the AFC that year, pretty much was was on fire. They were pretty much on fire. And actually, I do have the stats here pulled up. Give me a second here. Okay, here it is. Yeah, sorry about that. So 2008, the Pats didn't even make the playoffs. All right, finished 11-5, and five, same record as the Miami Dolphins. Um, Dolphins won a division. Pittsburgh was 12-4 and four that year. Baltimore was 11-5 and five that year. Obviously, Pittsburgh wins the AFC North. But the Tennessee Titans had themselves a season as well, 13 and 3. The Colts, the Colts went 12 and 4. That is six teams with double-digit wins in the AFC. All right. Um, again, the Pats didn't make the playoffs there you that year. You compare that to the NFC that year, they only had one, two, three, four teams with double-digit wins. So that year, obviously, Brady tears his ACL comes and uh who who, who replaces his 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 snaps? No other than Matt Castle. Matt Castle has a sensational season, uh, at least for Matt Castle. <laughs> nothing in, nothing really super, super duper sensational where you can say, I think he, he had like 21 uh, touchdowns that year. Let me see, 2008 Matt Castle. Yes, 21 touchdowns, uh, 11 interceptions, decent, okay? Completed 63% of his passes. And like I said, was integral in scoring 410 points that year for the New England Patriots. So 
plug and play. You know what I mean? Plug and play for a Bill Belichick. He's shown that he can do it at the quarterback position, and I get it. You didn't win the Super Bowl, but how many times will you be able to lose your best player being a quarterback, which is the most important position on a, on, on a football team, whether it be college or pro, and a quarterback that just so happens to end up being the greatest quarterback accomplishment-wise in NFL history. And I say accomplishment-wise because I could pick 50 quarterbacks more physically talented than Tom Brady. Obviously, he's a coach on the field, and you know his IQ for the game is, you know, it speaks for itself. But physical talent, uh, Tom Brady isn't at the top of the list. I mean, you remember what he looked like on his uh, – on his NFL Combine Day, I mean, he looked like a skinny version of the Pillsbury Doughboy. <laughs> uh, nothing impressive about his frame, skinny. And as a matter of fact, if you kind of want to take it back to his days in college, he really didn't do completely uh, a completely magical job either. I mean, he got a lot of playing time his junior and senior year, uh, 12 games in 2000, I'm sorry, 1998, throwing 14 touchdowns, tossing 10 picks. And in 1999, played 11 games, 16 touchdowns, six interceptions. Nothing crazy about that, especially we consider Michigan back in the day, uh, power running team, eye formation, especially back in the day, you know, when you had fullbacks and everything playing an extensive role, eye formation. That was, that's what Michigan was made out of. So uh, Bill Belichick takes a chance on him. And we all end up, you know, we, we all end up knowing what's happening, but I, I think Bill Belichick has proven that he can be a successful coach. Like I said, plugging and playing guys. And remember that first Super Bowl that they won in the 01-02 season when they went 20 to 17 over the Rams. I mean, his best player was what? Was it, I think like Troy Brown, the guy who played offense and defense. Troy Brown is a very average receiver, uh, very serviceable for that team, you know, chemistry wise, obviously played corner when he needed to and receiver made a name for himself there. But that's the year that Tom Brady takes over for Drew McQueen Bledsoe. Yes. His middle name is McQueen. <laughs> I didn't know that until I started doing some homework for this segment, but that happens. They went 20 to 17 over the Pats. Uh, a couple years later in the 03, 04 season, a very exciting Super Bowl win over the Carolina Panthers, 32 to 29. Uh, 24 to 21 uh, in, a, in a Super Bowl winning victory over Philly. Uh, that, I will never forget that game. The, what stands out to me the most in that game was Terrell Owens getting injured. I think he got injured in the NFC Championship game, if I'm not mistaken. And if it wasn't that game, then it was at some point in the playoffs. All I know, it was a big deal because there was a question mark about him maybe not playing in the Super Bowl. And so he gets healthy, has a an incredible game. But what I also remember about that game is one of those plug and play guys that Bilicek just brings in. Okay. Offensively, Corey Dillon, remember that name? It should ring a bell to you because, you know, it was a workhorse running back for the Bengals back in the day, comes into new England with some baggage, but uh, ends up scoring a huge fourth quarter touchdown uh, to help new England win the game. Uh, in, in that Super Bowl over Philly, in the 14-15 season, 2014-2015 season, everybody remembers this Super Bowl when they beat Seattle. And, oh, my God, as a Niners fan, I was, I was loving it. 28-24. to The score into the fourth quarter, if you guys don't remember that, was 24-14. to And the Pats scored 14 unanswered points and blank a Seattle offense in the fourth quarter to win that game. 
2016-2017 season, uh, trailing by 25 points. I believe that is the biggest Super Bowl comeback we have ever seen. It definitely is the only Super Bowl that uh, went into overtime, okay? And they come back from being down 28-3 to to the Atlanta Falcons and win that game 34-28 to again in overtime. And then, of course, uh, their last Super Bowl win over the L.A. Rams, 13-3 to in the 18-19 season, a game in which I found super entertaining because remember that L.A. offense was unstoppable that year. And I'm thinking, how the hell is New England going to stop these guys? That's why I found that game entertaining as hell, all right? Whether it was a low-scoring game or not, anybody that appreciates both sides of the ball on football, I think, found that game entertaining. A lot of people called it the super boring game, and I'm just thinking, like, what the hell is wrong with you? <laughs> I mean, it's that's like trying to find somebody that can stop an unstoppable, you know, uh, uh, an automatic scorer in basketball. Don't you find it interesting if he can be shut down by a prime time defender? I mean, that's how I was looking at that game. It's not all about points scored for me, but um, yeah. I mean, so Belichick, the point that I'm trying to make is he has nothing really to prove. Even to me, if he can win without Brady. To me, that question has been answered. Mind you, he's a defensive guy. So uh, there's a couple names that I wanted to bring up on the defensive side of the ball. One in particular, do you remember when in, uh, I think it was 2016, when it was a huge deal that the Patriots traded Chandler Jones to the Arizona Cardinals for, for Jonathan Cooper in a second round draft pick. Everybody was thinking, what? Me included. Like, what? Uh, this guy just recorded a career-high 12 and a half sacks the season before. And, um, I mean, that was just crazy. But he traded him away because I think, you know, the contract and the numbers weren't working. And the thing about Belichick is, look, I could find somebody that can do your job cheaper. <laughs> so that's why Chandler Jones was gone. So, I mean, that's just me. I mean, you look at the Patriots. I'm sorry, the Bucks and what Tom Brady has to work with. I'm not exactly sure of what their old line looks like, but obviously he he went to the Patriots on his own. Okay, he he went to a place where he thought that he could win. And then when you think of you know guys like Lashawn McCoy, he has Lashawn McCoy now uh, as a running back. Ronald Jones, Ogunbowale for from Wisconsin is I think he's going to be a big factor. Everybody's talking about the passing game, and they should. I mean, obviously you got Cameron Brait, Rob Gronk. Kowski, uh, O.J. Howard from Alabama, and then, you know, the receivers, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin. So we'll see. We'll see. I just think it's going to take a little longer for that system to get going than, I, than it is for the Patriots because you know what you're going to get with the Patriots. You know what you're going to get with them. It's the Belichick way or the highway. I think that there's going to be an added dimension to that offense, obviously, with the legs of Cameron Newton. And I just find that is just a really intriguing storyline that's not getting enough attention because the Patriots have been unstoppable for the past 20 years, you know, and now that that's not there and those guys don't have each other, you know, what's going to happen? So we'll see. Only time will tell. But here's a little known fact that I dug up while doing homework for this segment is that, um, and I got this from ESPN.com, did you know that since 2000, the Patriots are the only team in the NFL to start the same quarterback for at least 12 games in every season, which includes Brady, uh, 18, Drew Bledsoe, and Matt Castle. 18 seasons for, for Brady, uh, 
one season for Bledsoe and one season for Matt Castle. I think that's kind of crazy, but we're going to continue with the football talk next segment with Antoine Stadium. For those of you that don't uh, know who that is, shame on you. Really insightful guy that covers the Carolina Panthers. And I want to talk about the Carolina Panthers because, uh, well, what, what, you'll find out next in the next segment. And then uh, we'll close out the, uh, the show with some more football talk. But uh, that's pretty much it for this segment. Got to go ahead and pay some bills. Just keep it locked on the Michael McCoy Show. Channel 145, Sirius XM, Slam Radio. We'll be right back. This is Sirius XM 145, Slam Radio. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. Who, me? Text and whatever. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. It's important for you to talk to someone about it. I felt so much better after my son told me, Mom, we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. The views and opinions expressed on The Michael McCoy Show are entirely those of the hosts, guests, and callers and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Slam Radio. Good morning, amigo. Just the two of us. We can make it if we try. Just the two of us. You and I. Well, you, to, you forgot that. Oh, the two of us, we're building castles in the sky, just the two of us. Go. You and I. There you go. Good morning, amigo. Weekdays from 7 to 11, only on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. I couldn't speak or walk. This is high blood pressure. Get back on your plan. Go to loweryourhbp.org. Brought to you by the American Stroke Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. For every sport of every kind, tune in here where you will find. And now we're back with the Michael McCoy Show on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for sticking around with us throughout that last break. You've been listening to the Michael McCoy Show on Sirius XM Channel 145 Slam Radio. As promised, got a special guest on the line with me right now, Antoine Staley. If you don't know the name, you should. Um, covering the NFL since 2003, Panthers beat reporter, and uh, East Carolina alum. Knows a thing or two, three or four about football. So we're going to talk to him about uh, the Carolina Panthers, the NFC South, and how things are looking over for uh, the Panthers this season. How you doing, Antoine? I'm doing all right. How are you doing? I'm doing great, man. Thank you very much for your time and coming on the Michael McCoy Show. So... Let's get right to it because there's a couple of things that I wanted to talk to you about being that you cover the squad. And first and foremost, um, Matt Rule. Matt Rule, basically because of his transition that he's made from college ball to the NFL, we all know there are a limited number of coaches that have been huge in their success um, making the jump. Jimmy Johnson from Miami to Dallas, uh, out West, I'm a Niners fan, so I know everything about Pete Carroll and doing what he's doing. <laughs> and um, obviously being a Niners fan, I also know about Jim Harbaugh. Even though he didn't win a Super Bowl, he had success, early success, and now he's back in the college ranks. So how is the team responding to Rule and his transition? How do you feel he's adapting to the new, to the new environment? 
Well, uh, just going from Ron Rivera, who I, I came in and that was the he was the coach obviously there for a while, but I started covering him last year and just noticed the difference between Rivera and Rule. I mean, yeah, it's, you could definitely tell us a little bit. It's a lot. It's a difference there, just uh, because Rule is more a teacher, especially coming from the college game. He more hands on. He seems like he's having a lot of fun with the players. Uh, they're doing um, if they get a penalty, they're they're doing push ups and jumping jets and. Uh, Matt Rule, they asked, Matt Rule, and some of the other coaches, they're also doing the drills with them. So Matt Rule, uh, I remember last week he was doing some of the tackling drills with the dummy, uh, just trying to get players engaged and have them laugh at them and things like that. So try to loosen them up there. But yeah, it's everything so far seems like it's been pretty cool um, there. The players really responded to them. How many, how many wins or how well they play under rule that remains to be seen. But at least so far, it seems really positive there in Carolina with rule on charge. Okay, okay. I mean, a, a change of leadership in that sense can be a good thing because everybody is focused, not focused, I'm sorry, but used to a certain type of uh, regimen and things how run things how they run with an NFL coach but then you bring somebody in that's used to dealing with the younger guys and the energy is completely different so I mean I guess that could be a good thing because Pete Carroll if you ask me he still runs things I mean obviously he has NFL experience now for a very long time but especially for his first couple of years there in, in Seattle he kind of ran things like it was still a college team it looked like from the outside looking in yeah, I think that's what play, what made players respond to him so well because he had so much energy there, and uh, and obviously he he's very knowledgeable about the game. And Pete obviously Pete had an NFL experience too, so that definitely right. helped as well. So, but yeah, I think just kind of combining some of the things that you do in college and also bringing it to the professional level, and also combining that with things you have to do as far as teaching grown men, I definitely think that has a lot, that can make teams have a lot of success. Absolutely. Okay. All right. Well, we're rooting for him. Um, I'm definitely going to keep my eyes on that division because there's going to be a lot of competition in that division. You guys are arguably in the toughest division in the NFL. Um, Atlanta. You got Maybe. New Orleans. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Atlanta, New Orleans. You got, you know, the Bucks are obviously on the scene now with, you know, their big transactions in the offseason. There's a lot of great quarterbacks in that division, okay? I have always been a huge fan of Teddy Bridgewater. Always felt he was kind of an underappreciated guy. Good to see him have a shot now to kind of stake his claim as a guy to be taken seriously in the NFL, especially after he had that, you know, horrific injury a couple of years ago as a, as a Minnesota Viking. How are players rallying around a guy that really hasn't made his mark yet in the league? Well, I mean, the players call already call him a leader. Uh, well, well, I think if you go back to what Teddy did in Minnesota, too, I definitely think he uh, he's gotten players' attention, uh, helping the Vikings get the playoffs, and it just happened to be he suffered a horrific injury that kind of set him back there. But early on in Carolina, I mean, the players are really responding to him. He's uh, during COVID and everything when. The facilities were shut down. He ended up rallying everybody to get together, uh, whether it be on high school fields, whether it be his own backyard, <laughs> wherever they could meet uh, because of, you know, social distancing and things like parts were closed and things of that nature. He tried to get players, offensive linemen, receivers, running backs all together so they could have a really good chemistry once they got the training camp. And so far, it seems like it's really paid off. And he, he obviously, he knows the offense there. He worked with Joe Brady back when they were in New Orleans together um, before Brady with the LSU. And right. they, 
had their national national championship run. So yeah, he's helping the players get the speed. He helped the players get the speed on the offense, and I definitely think that was a big benefit there, considering that all the facilities in the NFL were closed due to COVID nineteen. And this is really an unprecedented time for right. a lot of different players in the league. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, coming from somebody that follows high school football down in South Florida, you know, extensively, I'm rooting for him, man. And I think a lot of people yeah. are, even if you don't follow high school football or, you know, you obviously follow college football, uh, Louisville, um, he's a player, man. He's a player, very smart quarterback, uh, athletic, very, uh, very, very underrated. We're rooting for him. I mean, he's going to need all the help he can get going up, up against guys like uh, Breeze and 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 – and uh and Brady and Ryan, uh, yeah. and Ryan Wright. So yeah. I um, actually watched them in high school too when I was yeah. living down there. So yeah, I yeah, some of the time that I uh spent down there, yeah, I saw him play a couple of games in high school. So yeah, it's it's crazy to see him back together. Oh, I, hell, I watched Robbie Anderson actually too, who's part of the team as well. Yeah. Uh and I know Joe Brady's he's also a South Florida guy as well. So it's just kind of getting that South Florida connection back together in Carolina. Should Football fans, Carolina fans, namely, expect the same type of instant impact that Joe Brady had on the LSU offense for Carolina this year? I think offensively, yeah. I think they definitely could have that. They, all the pieces are there, obviously. Uh, we talked, we just talked about Teddy, and I, I think he can, so long as he can get protection from the offensive line, I think he can – the Panthers could have a big season where he could throw over 30 touchdowns. And that okay. might surprise some people. Uh, I just think their offense is that good. And uh, obviously you got Christian McCaffrey there, who uh, I think a lot of people consider the best running back in football yep. there. And I think you have some pieces there, the wide receiver core, DJ Moore, I think is an emerging star at the wide receiver mm-hmm. position, had a really good year, uh, finished second in receptions last year. Also have Robbie Anderson, who we just talked about. I think he's a playmaker, that a burner that can – take the top off of uh, defense there who get past the safeties and corners. And then you got Curtis Samuel. I think it's really the X factor there. Somebody they're going to use in a multitude of different ways, whether it be at receiver who he's lightning quick and fast, but he also played running back in uh, at Ohio state as well. And they're going to use him not only as a wide receiver, but use him kind of in a wildcat package as well. And, Maybe even throwing the football, depending on who you ask there. But yeah, they they have a ton of weapons, and it would be it wouldn't surprise me if they were to have a top ten deep offense this upcoming year. Defense is going to be a little bit of a question there, but I think their offense is going to be really good. Look at that. Okay, top ten offense. I mean, I'm looking forward to it, man. Again, this is a team that um, not many people are talking about in terms of where they stand in the division because of the other teams that are involved, especially now with the emergence of the Bucks, but. Um, listening to Slam Radio Channel 145, the Michael McCoy show on Sirius XM with Antoine Staley. And we're talking about, you know, the NFC South and the Carolina Panthers. There's a couple names that um, have impressed, a couple players that have impressed Matt Rule as a coach. I'm going to rattle them off to you. Of these, tell me who, who Antoine thinks has a chance of kind of breaking through. Um, you got running back Mike Davis, safety Justin Burris, uh, linebacker Adarius Taylor, uh, tight end Chris Manhurts, two D linemen in uh, Yatur Gross Matos and Zach Kerr, and then you got wide receiver Brandon Zastra and fullback Alex Arma. Who are those guys? Maybe two or three or one kind of stands out to you as a guy that says, "Okay, you're, you you got my attention." I'll start with Chris Manhurts, who uh, the Panthers are kind of looking for a playmaker at the tight end position after Greg Olson 
uh, departure in the offseason there. They need somebody that can come in and not only take some pressure off the Teddy Bridgewater, but also be some kind of security blanket. And Manhurst is a they're trying to get him a little bit more playing time this upcoming year, especially with Noah Olsen there. He's a really good blocker. They've kind of used him in running situations there. But uh, they believe somebody that he could be a solid contributor there, along with Ian Thomas, uh, another uh, tight end that they have as well. So him, Justin Burris, I definitely think is another uh, player at the defense. They really call him a defensive back because they use him in a nickel. They also can use him as safety there as well. Uh, somebody that they believe that they can be a big time playmaker on their defense there. And Gross Matos, uh, my um, defensive defensive end um, out of Penn State. Uh, they believe they him along with Derrick Brown, also uh, KK uh, Kiwan Short there, and you got uh, Brian Burns there, who they really love. Last year, end up having seven and a half sacks and very and limited uh, action there, and they believe that all those four guys can make for a big time defensive line for the Panthers this upcoming year. Matt Rowley actually called defined their defensive line as elite, and I think they have a chance to be really good this year. Okay. Okay. Um, in terms of the biggest difference, obviously Joe Brady calling things and, you know, making uh, big changes on offense. But besides that, um, I guess I, 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 should, I should just ask you about the defense. What do you think is where – do where, where does Antoine think the biggest improvement will come from from 2019 to 2020 in terms of uh, the new version of the Carolina Panthers? Uh, well, I think defense, they were – they, they were able to sack the quarterback last year. They were finished second in sacks last year. They just couldn't. Once the ball was thrown, uh, that was the big question there and also stopping the run. I think I think the run defense is probably going to be the most improved there. They made an emphasis to do, uh, change that in the offseason when they gave up 31 rushing touchdowns, which is tied for the most since the a AFL-NFL merger. Uh, so they made, they made it at the point of emphasis to make sure that they can be able to not only – pressure the quarterback but also stop the run and I definitely think that's that's really the key to one of the keys to success for any team and whether you're talking about the NFL college football high school really stopping the run and getting pressure making the quarterback feel uncomfortable so yeah I definitely think that that's an area well I don't know if they're going to be great at it but I definitely think um, especially getting a guy like a Derrick Brown in the middle and getting K, you know, K1 short back uh, they should be much better on that side of the ball at least not, at least to the point where they don't give up the amount of rushing touchdowns that they did late in the season last okay. year. Okay. All right. Um, I wanted to ask you about a former Carolina Panther who, in my opinion, seems like he is going to enter the 2020 season with his hair on fire and has something to prove. You would think that a former MVP with the talent of Cam Newton in an offense in New England under arguably the greatest coach in NFL history with Bill Belichick really wouldn't be sweating what people have to say about him but he is on a mission. I know you didn't really get a chance to cover him uh, as much um, as you are, you know, the, the guys on the team now, but what is your opinion about Cam and what his mentality is going into the 2020 season with uh, the Pats? Well, I mean, during the process, doing, um, after Rule got hired, he was still rehabbing his foot injury, uh, just trying to show uh, everybody how he was getting healthy. And he felt like the Panthers were – really did him dirty by the whole thing, really uh, by not being honest and felt like that he should have been the quarterback of the Carolina Panthers, a, a team they drafted the number one overall, obviously went to the MVP in 2015, get to the Super Bowl, and he just felt like they were being dishonest with him. But 
the fact of the matter is they felt like that Cam couldn't stay healthy the last couple of years, whether it be the shoulder injury and also the foot injury, and they wanted to move on. So he has something to prove there. He's there in New England. He feels like that he wants to – he can help the Patriots – stay at the top of the AFC East and maybe beyond that you got he has something to prove you also have Bill Belichick that has something to prove there uh sort of too because everybody's talking about how Tampa is going to be this great team with uh with Tom Brady and Grant there and uh I definitely think New England to me I, I think New England is still the team to beat in the AFC East I really do I think that they're going to surprise a lot of people. Cam is getting better and better. He's starting to learn the all Josh McDaniels offense. And you're going to see a lot of wrinkles there too as well. Um, if you remember correctly, McDaniels was the coach at Denver when they took Tim Tebow. Yep. So you have to remember he probably still has a lot of those same packages yep. uh, that he had with Tebow that he's going to use with Cam Newton. So it's going to be really intriguing to follow them all year. But I expect them to still be a force out there in the AFC East, especially with a – highly motivated Cam Newton to prove everybody that he is still one of the best quarterbacks in the league. Absolutely. Especially when healthy. I mean, I don't think there's any question about that. Um, it's just staying healthy. That's what it, that's yeah. the main thing. Yeah. And I mean, it's just a shame how he felt, how, how things, however they were that they ended um, with the organization in Carolina, but I, I have my eyes on that. And I agree with you. I think there's still the class of the AFC East if, um, if he's healthy, but uh not to put any pressure on you, got a minute and three seconds before I got to pay some bills and uh, head to break. But I heard that when things aren't going right in practice or um, with the Carolina Panthers, that Matt Rule decides to play some country music. And, well, yeah, uh, I, I tweeted that yesterday. <laughs> yeah, that was something that he had said, but it was something we had deserved too. Uh, yeah, he'll play country music there as well. It just kind of, he, he says he does it to get players focused once again. So, yeah, he plays, a, he plays a lot of hip-hop and some other stuff, too. Edited hip-hop, but when the players kind of get off track, then, yeah, he'll start to play a little bit of country music. I think that's absolutely hilarious. What a way to get the attention <laughs> other than guys saying, what the hell? Man, come on, man. Let's get it together, man. It's just... <laughs> exactly. But, um, all right, ladies and gentlemen, um, that's Antoine Staley. And uh, thanks a lot for coming on the show, man. Really appreciate it. I hope it's not the last time. Yeah, man, anytime, definitely. I appreciate that. Well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we'll be back uh, after this next break. You're listening to The Michael McCoy Show on Sirius XM Channel 145, Slam Radio. We'll be right back. All right, that's the end of that segment. And um, I actually got everything that I had here asked for you. And that last one was, and I forgot, I should have said it was your tweet. I, I forgot where it came from. And I apologize not saying, hey. Oh, it's all good. Tweet, but um, that was it, man. I, I got through everything. I thought it was going to be longer than that. But the only other thing I really wanted to ask you about was, you know, their schedule and everything, but which I think is a tough schedule. But well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. Wait, yeah, if you sure, then yeah, okay. No, yeah, I'm, I'm cool. I'm cool. Okay. But um, don't be surprised if I reach out again. Yeah, man, no problem. Just let me know, man. I have no problem. Thanks a lot, Twan. I really appreciate the support, man. Yeah, anytime, man. All right, man. You be good. You too. Stay safe. All right. All right. Hey, look what I found. A radio. Radio. This is Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. Why should you volunteer with Meals on Wheels? I'll come to the door with one meal and I'll walk away with a full heart. Drop off a warm meal and get more than you expect. Volunteer at americaletsdolunch.org. Brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council. 
Allison is perfect. I mean, she'd never tell you that. She's perfect. Allison, wait. Are you texting and driving? Texting and driving makes good people look bad. Visit StopTextStopRex.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. We'll be back with the Michael McCoy Show. On Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. Good morning, amigo. Hey, man, it, look, if they pick up two nigga Manuel Apollo too, I'll, I'll be fine with him. But I'm just looking, I'm looking at the different angles. It doesn't. You I don't call know. him that, I call him Tonga Vailoa, whatever you want to call him. Listen, I don't know if they're 100% sold on two nigga Manuel Apollo. Tonga Vailoa is the next quarterback of the Miami Dolphins. How can you get that name so perfect? Tua nigga Manuel Apollo? Tua? I can't do it. I'm done. Tongo Vailoa. Tua nigga Manuel Apollo. Tongo Vailoa. Tua nigga Manuel Apollo. Tongo Vailoa. Tua nigga Manuel Apollo. Tongo Vailoa. See? That sounds much better that way. Good morning, amigo. Weekdays from 7 to 11, only on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. To protect his home and family from disaster, Steve used courage, wisdom, and his camera phone. That should do it. Way to go, Steve. By simply taking digital pictures of his family's important documents, Steve can always have them stored safely online, no matter when disaster strikes. Learn other simple ways to protect your home and family before a natural disaster at ready.gov. That's ready.gov. A message from FEMA and the Ad Council. And now we're back with the Michael McCoy Show on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. All right, guys, thank you very much for sticking around with the Michael McCoy Show here on Sirius XM Channel 145 Slam Radio. We're about through with the show, and we're going to wrap things up with a little bit of local football news. I haven't done this since, I think, the very first airing of the Michael McCoy Show, and that is talk about the love of my life, the Miami Hurricanes football program. I'm going to do it. going to wrap it up with some local talk here. and. Um, Football starts in 10 days. Miami hosts the University of Alabama, Birmingham. I think they're the Blazers. That team is fresh, not fresh off, but not too far removed from a, uh, a death sentence. Like that team didn't have football a couple years ago. Am I right? I, I believe UAB had the death sentence. And so when did they have that death sentence? It was Back in 2000, and I'm pulling it up right now. I should have had this already. I apologize. Back in 2014, yeah, they, were, they weren't playing for a couple of years there, but they shut down their program, and so they've been back for a while, but um, that's Miami's first opponents, and oh, my God, I'm doing it to myself. I admittedly and purposefully have not been paying attention that much to fall camp because when you've been following Miami Hurricanes football for as long as you have, nothing will impress you on Green Tree unless it translates over to the field, okay? I've seen plenty of Green Tree All-Stars in my history of a Miami Hurricane football fan, so... You love to hear it. Don't get me wrong. I love to hear guys doing great. But what happens on Green Tree, unfortunately, sometimes stays on Green Tree and doesn't result in wins on the field on Thursdays or, or Fridays or Saturdays. It just doesn't sometimes. 
And Miami football needs those W's on Thursdays and Fridays and Saturdays because that's what Miami football does, guys. That's what we're accustomed to. And it's been way too long since Miami has had a a team that makes other teams scared, okay? Because that's what it was. That's what it was back in the day. The games were won before they were even played and people were scared to play Miami. Now people look forward to playing Miami and people mock Miami. And although Miami quote unquote isn't irrelevant, is, is no longer relevant in the national landscape, I find that to be 100% pure garbage because uh, if Miami was not relevant, teams would not celebrate the way that they do after beating them. It just wouldn't happen. I mean, I think Duke stormed the field last year for crying out loud, but whatever. Miami Hurricanes football kicks off in 10 days, guys. And um, this is a very important season for the program. Okay, for the second year in a row, Miami has done an outstanding job winning the off season, okay? And I'm not one of those guys that thinks that this is a do or die year for Manny Diaz because yes, Miami's only playing in what, 10, 11 games, okay? But uh, let's say this season was a regular slate of, you know, regular football schedule and you had your normal slate of games. I was on the, uh, on the uh, side of thinking where an eight game, nine game season was enough for Coach Diaz to guarantee himself a third year. I really did feel that way, okay, and still do. Let's say that, like I said, things were normal and COVID never came into play. And I, I truly and fully believe that one, because it's a step up from six and seven, okay, and um, that's all you can ask for is progress, okay? And no, that prediction didn't uh, hinge on Coach Diaz winning the Coastal or not. Obviously, winning the Coastal would have guaranteed a third season, but uh, that prediction didn't necessarily mean that Miami won the Coastal. I just thought that a win total of eight or nine games would have done that all on its own. But that's not the case because that's not happening a very, very short season preview from my end is very simple for Miami. And it goes as follows. I believe Miami truly goes undefeated at home. Okay. I, I really think that happens. Um, Miami's toughest games are obviously going to be on the road at Clemson. Okay. Uh, at home, FSU and UNC are the toughest, but I think that that Virginia Tech game in November is going to be very, very telling. Even though, Virginia Tech beat Miami last year. You, everybody remembers how that game went. That game was off from the get-go. Three first-quarter interceptions by Jaron Williams. Mikosi comes in and does some video game stats that, you know, were just absolutely crazy. Mark Pope catches a Hail Mary touchdown uh, pass from Nikosi Perry to close out the first half going into the locker room. Um, of course, there were some special teams miscues. Uh, DJ Dallas has a, a, a crazy, crazy touchdown run in which he absolutely evaded the entire Virginia Tech uh, front seven and just scoots for like a 50-yard touchdown. You know, the place was rocking. Miami's coming back. And Miami's defense was just off that game, off to the point 
in which Manny Diaz had to insert himself into the game plan defensively and kind of retool some things. Miami comes back, beats a ranked Virginia team at home in front of a nationally televised audience on ESPN. And I called that game for WVUM radio last year. Miami was awesome defensively. And it was like night and day. It was like night and day between the Virginia Tech game the week before in which Virginia Tech got absolutely spanked heading into the Miami game by Duke, which was why everybody was thinking that, uh, you know, Miami would have won that game. But um, I'm getting off, I'm getting off topic here really quick, but Miami goes undefeated at home. Okay. And I don't think that the coastal rides on the UNC game. I don't think so. I think it's that Virginia Tech game. And what I was saying before I went off on a tangent about Virginia Tech is that game was very tricky. I mean, you you take – I know you can't do this because they it happened, but those first quarter interceptions by Williams, that that just – that's an anomaly. That doesn't happen, okay? Mammy wins that game, all right, without that crap. Virginia Tech was not that impressive of a team last year. Um, they just weren't. They absolutely weren't. And so uh, I, that's why I'm not that worried about that game. Who knows what's going to have happened later in the year uh, at that point, because COVID may have some rosters changed at that point. Obviously injuries and late in the year, it's colder in November in Blacksburg. So, you know, that's always a factor. But to me, that's the second most important game on Miami's schedule. I'm not worried about UNC either. Why? Because, I mean, look what, Look what had to happen for UNC to win that game on the road. I'm sorry, at, at home, okay, in front of a nationally televised game. I mean, obviously coming off of a loss against the Gators the week, well, two weeks prior, because Miami ended, ended uh, up playing UNC after a bye week. But um, what has to happen? For me, what has to happen for Miami to, to be the Miami that we all expect them to be this season First of all, I'm looking forward to that defense way more than that offense. I think the offense is going to be explosive. I think that the defense is going to be more important than the offense, and I'll tell you why. If, big if, well, maybe not so much of a big if, because I really believe in the offensive scheme and Lashley and all of that stuff, but, um, and by the way, you're listening to the Michael McCoy Show here on Sirius XM Channel 145 Slam Radio. If things go as expected from Miami, Miami will score 30 points a game, minimum. Miami will average two to two and a half minutes on scoring drives, okay? That's all fine and dandy, you know? It's great. But why do I think defense is going to play a bigger role? And why am I looking forward more to the defense than the offense? Jordan Nelson, good buddy of mine, made a really good point, uh, couple of days ago on the Forza podcast in which I was a guest on with Marsh Thomas and Jordan. And he said, very, very true and obvious. The defense is probably going to be on the field a lot more than we want because the offense is going to be that good if they're that good, right? You score quickly, your defense is back on the field. That's a great point by him, right? This is where depth comes into play and why Miami um, that loss of Greg Rousseau is probably going to be bigger than a lot of people think because 
Yes, Miami has depth all across that D-line, especially at end. Miami just signed the best pass rusher in the state in Chance Williams. He's going to be playing. Obviously, big-time addition Quincy Roche. Jafari Harvey is going to have a very good season. Jalen Phillips, former number one player in high school, is going to be suiting up for us. Cameron Williams, uh, another defensive end who's going to be making noise. Quentin Williams, and so on and so forth. Elijah Roberts, who's probably going to go grow into a defensive tackle. We'll see how much playing time he gets this season. But the defense is going to be important for that reason. Like, they're going to have to live up to the hype of, you know, especially the depth on that D-line. But I've said this over and over and over and over again. And you guys that have heard me say it again are probably thinking, well, Mike, uh, Give me something else. Well, I haven't said it on this show, so it'll be the first time on this show that I say it. But for Miami's defense to be, and this is why I'm looking forward more to the defense than the offense, okay? Yes, I know what you're going to get with a Manny Diaz coach defense. I'm not worried about the defense. But this defense has a potential to be a top three defense in the country, okay? Top three defense in the country, top five championship caliber defense. I'm not talking about top 15, top 20, which is good. I'm talking about elite for Miami to take that step, they're going to have to get prediction from a different part of the defensive line, and that's going to be the defensive tackle. As a matter of fact, I said this on the Fours Up podcast. This I've been saying this since the spring, all right? Miami needs just one guy to step up from that, from that position, okay? Because you need pressure up the middle. You need pressure up the middle. And any quarterback, any offensive coordinator will tell you that that's a game plan uh, wrecker, okay? That's a game plan wrecker. It's the worst thing that can happen to a quarterback is pressure up the middle. It absolutely screws up uh, a play. That guy's got to be Nessa Silvera. And the only reason I say his name is because he's the guy that came in with all the hype and all the hoopla and all that stuff. He's been hurt. I get it. I'm not getting on his case at all. I'm a Nesta fan, but it's time. Sturdier year in the program, and it's time. Jonathan Ford, Senior, Jason Blissett, true freshman, well, not true freshman, redshirt freshman, I'm sorry. Uh, Jordan Miller is expected to be a, a, a plug at 320. Okay, he's going to get some run on the field. Jared Harrison Hunt is another uh, redshirt freshman from New York, just like Blissett is. Those two guys are athletic. Those two guys are really athletic. And so um, I'm looking at them kind of like R.J. McIntosh is on the line. Those are athletic guys. R.J. McIntosh came in as a defensive end, for anybody that doesn't remember, and he ended up having a very productive final year at UM as a junior, left early, and, um, you know, we all know what happened with that. that. That season that he played, he was very productive. That that last season, that 2017 defense year, one of the turnover chain, and, you know, it was him and uh, – and I uh, can't remember the other name, um, the other defensive tackle that played alongside him. But Miami's going to need that, that push up the middle, man. We all know what they're going to get from the defensive line. And another reason why if Miami gets great defensive tackle play along with defensive end play is because a position that I wasn't so worried about in the spring, I'm, I'm not worried about it right now, but I'm, I'm paying more attention to it is the cornerback position because – it's just a position in all these highlights that you see with the Miami Twitter account, um, Miami football Twitter account posting highlights. 
You know, there's just guys that aren't living up to their expectations. You know what I mean? And so I'm paying attention to that. The good thing about the secondary is that the safety room seems to be absolutely loaded, at least on paper. You know, that's a position where uh, maybe the safeties don't, I'm sorry, maybe the corners don't have to be elite and you have safeties like Gervin Hall and Bubba Bolden cleaning up the mess for you. Uh, Bubba Bolden, I think, is going to be the best defender on the team this year. And I felt that way even before uh, before Greg Rousseau decided to opt out and enter his name in the NFL draft. We wish him good luck. But, I mean, that's my kind of Miami sort of preview. You know, I, 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 I'm going to dedicate more time to that later on. I just felt like I could, should bring that up because we are 10 days away from college football. And um, I haven't really talked about the Canes ever since the Mike McCoy debuted right here on Sirius XM channel 145 Slam Radio. So I figured I'd dedicate a segment to it um, offensively. Like I said, I think that uh, the ball's going to be spread around big time. There's not going to be that go-to guy from Miami that's going to have 1,200, 1,500 yards receiving. Although it can happen, I think that Miami has so many weapons that it's probably not. But if I had to pick that go-to guy, it would, would be Jordan. Um, I'm sorry, Brevin Jordan for sure, 100%. Um, I'm really looking for Mark Pope to make a name for himself and live up to that top ranking that he had as a receiver coming out of Miami Southridge Senior High School. So we'll see. I think the running game is going to be absolutely lethal, especially when you throw in something uh, like uh, the dynamic play that Derek King is going to bring with his legs as well. So we'll see, man. But we're 10 days away, Canes fans. We're 10 days away. I can't be more excited. All we can hope for is health this season for the guys. And um, we'll see how that plays out, man. UAB is on the slate. First thing come uh, – I'm sorry, first game on the schedule for Miami and um, – you know, we got Clemson shortly after that. So I'm out of time, and I apologize. I've only dedicated 16 minutes to Miami Hurricanes football today. But uh, what I promised you last week will ring true next. We're going to be a football-heavy show, especially college football. So I appreciate you guys taking your lunch break, maybe listening to the Michael McCoy Show on Sirius XM Channel 145 Slam Radio. And we'll be right back here next week, same time, same place. Everybody stay safe. The views and opinions expressed on The Michael McCoy Show are entirely those of the hosts, guests, and callers and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Slam Radio.